0: Open your storybooks and welcome to Viju, please. A hateful voyage through the Delta Quadrant. My name is Joseph. And I am your co-host, Peter. And a wonderful co-host you are, Peter. Thank you for once again for you uh, taking this journey with me. I'm extremely interested in your thoughts about the episode we watched this week.
1: What was it called? We're looking at season five, episode five, Once Upon a Time. I'm not going to say anything. Last week, I I kind of dominated the pre-episode discussion because I had so many thoughts. Tell me what you thought, sir. You dominated uh, because you had so many thoughts because last episode was interesting and fun and engaging, and uh, this was fucking miserable.
0: <laughs> what?
1: What? I love this episode. Uh, Well, yeah. maybe you're manifesting some new symptoms of COVID-19. Like... <laughs> being fucking okay. stupid
0: so uh we've got persistent cough uh fever and appreciation of subpar voyager episodes those are the official COVID 19 uh i believe that's what uh, governor t-
1: Dewine uh discussed during the ohio briefing um you know i'm not feeling season five at all right now if we jump back we had uh in the flesh last week which had a good story that was just a round peg jammed into the square hole of species eight, four, seven, two. Uh, and I'm, I'm still kind of struggling with that one. Um, you jump back before in the flesh and what was it extreme risk, which had cool stuff, but was a little ho-hum, uh, drone, which was fucking awful. And then, uh, night, which started off really cool and then ended like a cheap, shitty episode of Captain Planet. <laughs> I think that Voyager front loads the turds.
0: Yeah, I mean, typically the beginning of seasons are definitely bad. Thinking back to both season two, season three and season four, I you know, I just I definitely uh, see what you mean by that. But to me, Once Upon a Time is a episode that I love I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's got I've got a few problems, nitpicky nerd issues, but overall, it is largely a character study and it relies on backstories and personalities and trauma that some of these characters have carried with them uh, in that we've seen played out in prior episodes. And it's exactly the sort of thing that I think makes later Voyager great. So the fact that you hated it and I loved it, I think that's actually quite interesting.
1: It has going for it some more neat holodeck theory and some good opportunities for ethan phillips to fly off the handle as neelix who it is amazing what they have done with neelix because he was such a rancid trash character in the first season and a lot of that was this shoehorned Kess tom paris neelix love triangle that they just beat like a fucking dead horse um a lot of his cowardly comedy antics, and I think that following Rise, which was the Tuvok elevator episode, they really turned the character around into something good, and when he has a chance to really draw into his very clear emotional trauma, Ethan Phillips can do a lot with it. There's been a few things that have touched what we'll call, I guess, the Jatral story arc, and that is his his dead family and how it continues to haunt him back. into what was the, the seven and nine um, necromancy episode a uh, mortal coil. That is correct. And there's still stuff in that, that I think they touch on heavily without mentioning here. Uh, I enjoy the implications and the exploration of uh, children. Specifically to me, because, you know, I certainly have to sit through a lot of fucking children's TV right now. Uh, but flotsam or whatever his name is the this interactive storybook that they go on and, you know, 24th century technology and its impact on uh, happiness. But then on the other side of the uh, coin, uh, this is a episode that heavily features child actor, which is terrible, Uh, has annoying, goofy ass, stupid holodeck characters, which is awful. Uh, And has a B plot that was very clearly shoehorned in.
0: I definitely agree. This is the first episode where uh, Scarlett Palmers, who ends up being the uh, actress that plays Naomi Wildman for the rest of the show, makes her first appearance. And this this episode is a little little rough for her. Uh, she does get better in, in future episodes, even in this season. Um, this also st- marks the point where we actually end up seeing a way more of her. They get comfortable with this particular actress uh, playing her and and start to feature her more frequently. I think that the things you mentioned about not just uh, Neelix in his history, in his trauma and kind of further building on on that, but also like this has some great moments for Janeway. This has great moments for Tuvok. I think, in fact, my favorite moment in this episode is Tuvok talking to Ensign Wildman Uh, that all give you more when it comes to the personality and backstory and feel that you have for these characters that. I would take episodes like this a million times over like stuff like night where you have like shoehorned in bullshit alien of the week. Like the, you know, the thing they have to deal with this, this episode is space weather, right? So it's entirely driven by your main characters. And I I guess this is the sort of storytelling within Trek and kind of feeling, making the episode, the universe feel lived in that I love. So I look forward to battling
1: you on this because i I'm, I'm gonna try to convince you that this was good the framework for something good is there i i like the idea of and maybe it's a better story to tell on the enterprise and i feel like this is again a retread of an old tng episode the one where the kid's mom dies on the away team mission and he bonds with data and i think there might be in a couple of different scenarios where a family member is left wounded or something happens and you realize that there are other people dealing with the shit the ship's going through that isn't just the the bridge crew. The problem on this just hinges with the fact that it's a fucking child actor. I can't stand it. And and I do not want any more of Naomi Waldman. She's cool as a concept of the first child born on Voyager. And that is where my interest in her officially ends. Um, we pick up. I will say the episode is better than what I thought it was going to be based on the cold open because we start with uh, Naomi Wildman, which is, again, the the first child born on Voyager, uh, wandering through an enchanted forest and coming across uh, a badly... Gee, I, he, I don't know. He looks like a, a blue sperm, kind of. He pops up out of the water like a genie. Flotter is his name, yes. Oh, yes, the ever so beloved Flotter. It's a storybook thing they started unfolding. My fear was that this is real, that there's some sort of crazy alien that has abducted Voyager members and are are forcing them to live through this storybook uh, menagerie and that we're going to be dealing with this as a realistic alien threat. Uh, In fact, we'll find out that it is a holodeck children's story. And in that, I was like, okay, thank God they're not going (laughs) to... We're we're keeping this in scope.
0: The concept of twenty fourth century children's book interactive holodeck stories is interesting. Uh, I guess one of my few actual like legitimate complaints about the episode was that they they discarded a bit of canon when it came to how uh, long holodeck technology has really been available because uh, Janeway starts talking about her like her like interactions with the, holode- uh, the hollow stories of Flatter in the past. I guess you could say like there wasn't necessarily as sophisticated as a holodeck because they were sort of interactive stories rather than like fully functional uh, uh, recreations. So it could be that it was
1: kind of like a different sort of circumstance back then. Still, this was the most interesting part of the episode to me. And again, it was an exploration of this 24th century tech. We have talked very, very heavily about where holodeck technology falls in the timeline because per canon as you just pointed out our first belief you know again jumping back to season one tng that's where uh gene roddenberry paints the picture of where is technology at and picard's comment or riker's comment that you know wow this is brand new galaxy classes are the first starships to have these holodecks blah 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 like you're saying here if if harry kim and janeway have interacted in this that's impossible that shatters it so i think it's two conclusions we can draw one is that galaxy classes were the first starships to really heavily feature holodecks and that might have already been available in the in the civilian sector or i think the more realistic thing is that like you're saying it was simpler holographic experiences maybe the holograms didn't have uh, volume and mass they were just literal holograms that were just light projections not physical manifestations maybe it was vr headsets who knows but i think it's well within the scope of what should have been if you can go warp speed throwing up some some little simple holograms to keep your kids busy while you take a nap or whatever it doesn't seem that crazy
0: it yeah, right like that last sentence it's perfect
1: this is exactly the sort of shit someone would have invented in the
0: 24th or 23rd century how the fuck do i keep my kids occupied like yes that impulse is supreme no matter what. Yeah, Scarlett Palmer is like she gets better as an actress as as her experiences on the show go on. But she's pretty rough in here. Like it's very paint by numbers kid actor stuff. Uh, well, you know, not what? terrible,
1: but not great. I maybe, would say is- maybe season two of Picard they'll like have her get hit by a space bus and her guts can come out of her mouth or other- up. <laughs> She'll get the Echeb treatment yeah and then and seven of nine will be even
0: more angry <laughs> like she'll be e- seven of nine even angrier Naomi wildman's going through the storybook there's flatter the water spirits there's trevis the tree spirit you know she's solving you know nature issues with them and ultimately leaves because she gets a call from her from mother uh and S- uh samantha wildman mom hair wildman uh potential stalker wildman And uh, she is on the Delta Flyer with uh, Tom Paris and uh, Tuvok doing some, I don't know, Starfleet science bullshit. Uh, But apparently they've been uh, running into ion storms and are having some problems. And so it sets the stage for the uh, Delta Flyer being stranded uh, and Voyager having to come to the rescue, which is the majority of the actual plot of the episode.
1: Originally, according to Memory Alpha, it was going to be a war scenario uh, that Voyager was dealing with outside of the the viewpoint of the child. And ultimately, um, Berman said, "No, I don't want war to be the the heavy feature of both of our current Star Trek properties, Deep Space Nine and Voyager." So. They had to throw the script that they had written uh, in the trash and then rewrite this goofy Delta Flyer crash landing into difficult planetoid B-plot and and I think that's really a big disservice to the episode and, and leaves it feeling as half-assed as it does.
0: Why do you say it's half-assed? I want to
1: explore it, that thought. It uh, It just feels tacked on, man, like... Uh, again, it's a retread of several different ENG episodes of mom gets injured slash killed, and now the kid has to cope. With it. So, I mean, there's only so many different ways to tell the story. Um, and, you know, the, a shuttlecraft crashing in a planet and somehow ending real deep in the surface uh, seems unoriginal and boring. I felt that the con, not the conflict, but the interplay between Tuvok and uh, Paris on the Delta Flyer is okay. But then you jam uh, Samantha Wildman in there, who I've learned I also don't give a shit about. And I think this is the last time you see Mother Wildman, correct? Yeah, this, the. I mean, Samantha Wildman factors into the show after this. Samantha does, mean. but I don't think the actresses has ever featured further. She's she's a boring character. She begins and ends with the fact that she's a mom. Uh seeing her in the Delta Flyer, like this person has never mattered before. So why is it the first time we see her on a way team mission is the time that it's the focus of a whole episode. It just it felt shoehorned. It was boring. I I just I couldn't find myself giving a damn about any of it. I know, obviously, by the end, they're all going to live like, yeah, she ends up getting a punctured lung or what or kidney. So she's more at risk of dying than um, than Paris or Tuvok. So maybe she might die where the other people get rescued. But I just I had this feeling the whole time that they were all going to get saved. I didn't (laughs) save to a point where even the ship is recovered. Right. Like jumping to the end, their solution to the problem of this crash-landed ship is they transport an entire fucking shuttlecraft, which seems ridiculous. Uh, and that there's just no real consequence in any of this, and it's it's this dry hump um, effort to bring this child's trauma to the forefront. The real story here is Neelix is fucked up. Yeah, I, tough, enjoyable to watch, but but sandwiching it between. This kid and her annoying storytelling and her mom, who's boring as fuck, just ruins the whole episode for me.
0: I, I mean, they've never given Samantha Wildman to be more than a mom on camera. I mean, she's like you said, she's she's barely factored in the show so far. Naomi shows up way more than she does from this point forward. I want to say like Samantha Wildman might be in like two or three more episodes after this. Naomi's in a lot more than that. And uh, so, you know, the fact that there isn't a lot necessarily to work with, I don't I don't mind. But that said, like they use her pretty minimally, even in this episode. But to the extent they use her is, I think, appropriate. I, I, I think that she's a vehicle for other characters to express parts of their personality. Yes. And that's fine for me, like. The, her presence in this episode, to to me, is more so that Tom can show his, you know, nurturing side and so that Tuvok can lay down some really epic Vulcan parenting wisdom, which I thought was just a, a perfect scene for him. And because she served as a method by which we got to know other characters better, that's fine. I don't need to know more about Samantha Wildman, whatever. She's this blonde lady from the Alpha Quadrant that... Uh, you know, had a kid, has a kid, and and that's she's a science officer, like she doesn't matter. But what matters to me is the characters that I have, you know, gotten a lot more FaceTime with, and like Tuvok, you know, I want to go ahead and just go straight to that scene. I know it's way more further into the episode, but there's a moment where she, where Smith Wildman is despairing over that. You know She's not going to survive this circumstance, and she's wondering, you know, who's going to take care of my daughter? You know, like, this is an issue, obviously. I'm a parent, and I'm not going to be there for my kid. I am sad. And Tuvok takes a knee next to her and says, my youngest child has been without a father for five years, but I do not despair because I know I instilled my values into her before I left, and I have... A tremendous amount of confidence and and uh uh uh, respect for the people that are around her so i know she's okay because i gave her the best part of myself before i left and i know the people around her will take care of her and you know that's the case for naomi too you know like the people you have left her with are the best people to take care of her and you've been a good parent so she has the best part of you. It's such a Vulcan moment where she's—he's not being overly emotional, but at the same time, connecting with the character and the audience in an authentic fashion. And that's the shit I
1: fucking crave when it comes to Trek. You know, yeah, like that line moments that—that—that that was an excellent line. Anytime they've touched on Tuvox Tuvo, uh, uh family life, I found to be interesting and rewarding and it's a good way to grow the character without actually having to change him or grow him i guess because again I, as we've discussed i think Tuvok is already 100% complete there's not a lot yeah. of room for he's him he's a
0: there. solved character because yeah. he's a you know an old he's a Vulcan middle-aged Vulcan like there there's not a lot of like growth or change it's just trying to kind of finding out where he is and you know, we've talked before about how Tim Russ is a big fan of Trek and a big fan of Vulcans and really defended kind of where this character's lived in in
1: a way that I think other actors may not have necessarily been prepared to do. It's pleasant to see him doing new things with, like you said, a solved character that do not enjo- involve um, strangling people. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's those good. are great moments. <laughs> Sure. But, you know, we got to we got to ease off the choking. Uh, I I do think that those scenes between Wildman, Paris and Tuvok would have benefited from giving Tom an opportunity to go more into his relationship with his dad in a non whining. It's been a while since we've touched that arc. We haven't really gone anywhere near it since uh, Message in a Bottle, where uh, B'Elanna was poking and prodding at it. And I think enough times passed that he might have had some changes of heart or. Wanted to do some some growing, but you know, again, we, we get the good stuff out of Tuvok and the rest of it's uh Wildman jamming it up with her with her crap. Uh so they're in the the holodeck, they're exploring. Uh there's a tree guy who his makeup like his eyes kind of like got some skin hanging over it or something. It the the fish dude looks like crap. The tree guy looks a little bit better. I had to really look hard because his voice is like a ten out of ten Gary Busey voice. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh fuck! What, could they have possibly landed Gary Busey on a Star Trek Voyager episode as a living tree?" Sadly, that's not the case. Uh, and yeah, we find out it's a children's holiday program. They bake back out, and that's when we become aware, uh, as we've talked about heavily already, that wildman uh was on an away team mission things are rough they end up having to crash land on a planet because of an ion storm like you said the, the weather gets bad it's with appearing to be you know pretty low stakes there's a real good uh line janeway lays out there about you know we built the delta flyer to withstand a lot of punishment yeah janeway o- over the course of a week i think you got some real misplaced optimism here <laughs> on.
0: yeah you did uh uh, basically slap this together to win a forced uh, space race against garbage
1: men. So maybe some some uh, corners might have got cut. But like not having seatbelts. How, how built for punishment is this fucking shuttlecraft, this high danger, high risk shuttlecraft that it doesn't have seatbelts? And I know you can't have seatbelts in 90s Star Trek. It's against the law. But if anything was going to have it, it should have been their new space bumper car. Let's knock out the actual like... We'll say B
0: plot of the episode. Mm-hmm. Delta Flyer gets hit by an ion storm. Delta Flyer crash lands on a planet. Uh, Delta Flyer is incapacitated.
1: Uh, Samantha Wildman is hurt. Tom and Paris in the first time re- ever, it pays off having your best pilot be the only other medical provider on your ship. Yes.
0: Yes. <laughs> like only time it has ever occurred on screen but like the fact that tom paris is the rated medical professional and is able to stabilize uh samantha wildman is useful it's wild Uh, man (laughs) (laughs) bro that was some low-hanging fruit Uh, as it's a 50 dkp minus that was not good I gotta find my laughs
1: in this episode. Where As I've some heard. dad humor, if I ever heard any, oh. <laughs> I'm I'm stretching here to make this something more than just a conversation about a children's book and some uh, some daddy issues. <laughs> and,
0: and and we already kind of talked about the best part of the the Delta flyer scenes. It's Tuvok talking to Smith Wildman. We do get some good Tom stuff where you know he's you know he treats death very cavalierly a lot of the time. And we get a little insight into his character of like, uh, uh, he he never considers death at all. I think was kind of the line he gave to as like their minutes start to to run down. Mm-hmm. You know, he's just not prepared to like stare death in the face at all. He's such a bon vivant, and I think that's interesting. It's insight to his character. Like he's just not somebody
1: who who who, who thinks about the end at all. I got to tell you, Tuvok, if you put a gun to my head and asked me how I was going to die, I—I I think the easy answer would have been in some sort of space prison. You know, I, I don't know if you've never... And Tuvok, speaking as as another person who's more often than not joined me in these space prisons, you know, getting stuck under the surface of a planet just seems like the odd fit.
0: Yeah, it's, just, it's like, yeah, uh, I think Tuvok's line was like, did you foresee a more heroic death? And he says, uh, I didn't foresee death at all. But he's like, no, I, I foresee death in prison.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Probably a shank somewhere in my liver, you know, something you know, like one that. One time I
1: almost died when I fought, no, Space Jesus, it was that other guy. Did Space Jesus kill the guy who, who shanked Tom? Or that guy never really got his come No, Janeway blasted him with the compression rifle. That
0: is correct. Yes, Janeway uh, gunned down who hurt his, her Tom yeah um so that's all that happens there uh the rest of the episode plays out on voyager and really the drama when it comes to finding the delta flyer is pretty minimal uh you know it's like uh, essentially chakotay's only use in the episode is to like go down and like lead uh uh, away teams into the uh uh, planet hell caves you know that they've reused for the 876th time Uh, To to find the Delta Flyer, also seven of nine. She barely factors into the episode as well, except that uh, Naomi Wildman is, of course, scared of her, which is
1: a rational fear. (laughs) Is it? Because Naomi Wildman is born on Voyager. She has no concept of Wolf 359. Uh, her only knowledge of the Borg should be limited to what her parents, what her <clears> mom <throat> has told her, and maybe Neelix, who is her godparent. Like, who else is really interacting with Naomi Wildman? Be like, hey, the Borg are the fucking worst, and here is some um, borderline racist stuff about Seven of Nine and a reason for you to fear her. Like, there has to be something projecting this this anxiety onto her. Because too, kid. kids don't often, like
0: react rationally and she could be told about the Borg and learn basics about the Borg and then come up with
1: something in her own imagination. Uh, Maybe, you know, if it was the, uh, the enterprise with a bunch of kids, plural and, and, you know, Oh my God, the house at the end of the street that's boarded up is haunted. And the, you know, it's an old drug house and blah, blah, all, all sorts of crazy story. But this is one kid living in a vacuum. Like my daughter uh growing up loves fucking dinosaurs. Right. And I got this, this velociraptor puppet that's terrifying. I scare the shit out of my wife with it all the time. My kid loves it. She comes up and like hugs it and kisses it and treats it like a dog. And I'm like, this thing's scary as fuck. It's got like half inch teeth. I Uh, I do.
0: I do find it to be the least surprising revelation of all time that uh, your daughter loves dinosaurs. I can't imagine which parent might have had uh, any kind of uh, influence on that.
1: We went to the Jurassic Park live show which was <laughs> fucking amazing. And my wife <laughs> dressed her up like Ellie Sattler. And it is the best cosplay you will ever see with a little two-year-old dressed like Ellie Sattler with a little pink shirt knotted off and khaki shorts. I fucking loved it. Bless, bless you, sir. Anyways, uh, this terrifying puppet, she should be scared shitless of. And she loves. So, you know, uh, deciding that this Borg is going to embody all of her fears seems silly and then like the one scene where a seven of nine comes over and it's like i want to sit down at your seat like comfort is irrelevant sitting is irrelevant Wh- why would a grown woman maladjusted borg want to sit with a child i would understand it if there was some sort of like you know seven secretly smiling and in her reflection like behind people's backs like trying to secretly develop her humanity like if there was some play like I'm going to try this. I've got these weird lingering mommy issues from drone. Here's this kid. Her mom's in trouble. Maybe I'm going to try and make a clumsy pass at. At at friendship with a child, but instead it's just like I'm full robot mode. I want to sit at your at your table. And and then this this clunky response out of there where she's like, I'm racist against Borg. Go away. You can't sit here. Someone's feeding this kid some fucking bad vibes about the Borg. There's, there's some Maquis
0: motherfucker who is responsible for t- I mean, well it makes sense right because we find out like her education is basically individual crew members doing like lessons with her yeah so like some Maquis member who got like you know assigned as our English teacher has been like yo you should be fucking terrified of that Borg bitch like look the fuck Mr. out Mr.
1: She- I think you're being mean <laughs> when me you play about the Kardashians kid <laughs>
0: Oh my God, Dolby as uh, Naomi Wildman's like social phys Ed studies. teacher. Social studies teacher, yeah. Like, let me tell you about galactic history.
1: Cardassians raped my
0: wife. Like, oh, Mr. Dolby. I don't know why that's that's
1: it. I'm yeah. scared. Wildman, like, listen, you can't see my daughter anymore. Stay out of here. <laughs> or you know what? The phys ed
0: teacher would be uh, uh, Lieutenant Howdy Duty. Yeah, uh, yeah, man, I miss him. I miss we, him, too. We he figured he, out what his name was, didn't we? I'm sure we did, but he's Lieutenant Howdy Doody. I mean, fuck whatever his actual name is. We we know his name spiritually.
1: The real phys ed teacher for her is Ayala, smoldering catcher guy. That guy, he's in great shape. I think the, the actor is actually like a professional rugby player. Like that's that's who that. Child's phys ed teacher needs to be that guy feels like he would be like that's part of his I'm never gonna be a
0: jabroni on this episode vibe mm-hmm. of like you see him and you're like nah this guy's not a jabroni this guy goes out with a bunch of like men and without pads and starts whooping the shit out of each other over a football shaped thing like this is this is this is not a man who's ever a jabroni
1: on this show he kills people in Parisi squares um all of this on the ship is gonna rotate around the right thing to do is probably to tell Naomi, right? She is getting context clues. She knows Starfleet protocols. She wants to get involved with the ship. So she's been reading like how to manuals and she starts calling Neelix on this. Like, why have I not heard from my mom? Federation protocol says that away teams need to call in every 24 hours. Uh, I'm seeing context clues here. That's a problem. And Neelix is putting up this song and dance that everything is great. There's no reason to worry. Uh, even January will start commenting, like, maybe we need to bring this kid up to speed. And it very clearly becomes that Neelix isn't worried about the girl's feelings. Neelix is more worried about his own feelings and trauma that he has gone through. And at the end of the day, he wants what's best for her. But he is so damaged by the shit he's gone through that it has compromised his judgment. So instead of coming clean with naime that, hey, your mom crash land because she was stupid enough to go in a shuttle and that's what shuttles do uh, just be happy she's not stuck on the Amish planet <laughs> that <laughs> that uh, you know he keeps using these holodeck stories and whatever else he can to shield her from the truth and you know he's got this really top shelf trauma all of his family is is half dead and it, I feel like it's kind of polluted because, again, the weakest shit, emeritus. Ever. Yeah, the the weakest shit award of all time. The real drama is, or the real trauma isn't that Neelix's family is dead. It's that Neelix's family is still half alive. They're caught in this miserable, half physical, half I don't energy state on the war torn. Moon around his planet that this Detral's super weapon established, and that after fifteen seconds of trying, Voyager gave away. So, you know, we tie into uh, Mortal Coil, which is where we find out that in Neelix's version of the afterlife, when he dies, he doesn't see all of his family, and it's like, well, because your family's not really dead, among other reasons why you didn't see them. Um, and and they keep bringing up his family and like, oh, what's going on? Like, no, they they all died, half died in this terrible storm. The story I want to see is now that the smartest person in the universe is on their ship, Seven of Nine, like, I want to see Seven of Nine or uh, uh, Neelix being like, hey, listen, I, I got this other math problem. You seem real good at these these math. <laughs> Do you like was it Sudoku? Sudoku, yeah. Sudoku. Here's a different game called Can You Unfuck My Entire Planet? <laughs> I am willing to put aside. The
0: well established and well earned canon of Jotrell being the weakest shit because they barely tried to save all of the people that died on Ryanax's moon from Jotrell's super weapon. And that's, I guess, my other nerdy issue of like, ah, shit, like, man, what an all time punt the way they ended that episode was. But if you accept as truth that all of those people are dead, right? Let's sure. put the weakest shit aside for a second. Like, the The drama of Neelix is uh, dealing with his past and what he's been through and that he genuinely cares for uh, Naomi. and does not want her to suffer in a way that he suffered. But in like so many well-intentioned circumstances like this, that manifests into almost uh, a selfish need because you don't want to experience it uh, again for yourself by yes. seeing someone else do it. Like sympathetically. Exactly. And that is what I find so compelling about that story and why I feel like this episode is great is because we can nitpick all day long the, you know, the what happens to Delta Flyer or the fact that, you know, we got to deal with a kid actor for a lot of this, but it's in service to such great character moments. Like the scene where Neelix goes into the ready room with Janeway and just and fucking lights her up. flips out over the concept of telling naomi what's going on is gold and it's not just gold for him because you can feel where he's coming from because the show's given you like these insights to his anxiety over telling her because of his own experiences with his family dying in the veteran cascade and his sister being dead and his own experiences and having been dead at one point
1: like did you you just pull a veteran cascade out of thin air yes that's a hell of a fucking callback, man. Props to you. That's like <laughs> that is a season one deep dive. Like you get an A plus for this episode. Well, I mean, for- they do. I, I Don't give me too much credit. They do say it in the episode
0: when he's having the, the flashback dream of them, like in the forest. And he's like, oh, no, the vet-, he says like, oh, oh, no, the veteran cascade or something uh. like that like You're right, it's, right. you, you only get a c plus than that thank I, you i was supposed to say don't give me too much credit like it was in the episode and that's why it was in my mind but the the scene where he f- like flips out like it's so much ethan phillip like just just digging into this history that's been built for his character and putting it on screen and it's it's exactly what you and i always talk about like the show shines when it lives in its own history and this is this is Neelix actually getting to live in his own history, going back now four and a half, four seasons plus, it which was, is so cool. Was,
1: so yeah, Janeway's like, "Listen, you need to tell the kid," and then he's like, uh, "I don't think we should." And then she's like, "Well, I want you to." And man, he escalates this argument with her. He's like, "You don't have the right. You don't have this." And like, eh, she's the cap. Like, I was really waiting for Janeway to have the uh, the mommy pants, like you're going to fucking do what I tell you and, and kind of pull rank on him. And she doesn't. And I think there was an opportunity there for, uh, to go back again to mortal coin, but like, this is the guy that just found out that his faith, which had been holding his sanity together, that everybody's waiting for him in like space cat heaven, uh, was shattered and that we've all been walking on eggshells to a certain degree. And like, Again, part of the Neelix Jotrell arc. uh, An acknowledgement from the rest of the crew around that he's still his healing is a work in progress. They don't. She lets him skate by, but still, you know, ultimately says either you tell her or I'm going to tell her. But by the end of this, it's time for this kid to know. I do like that he flips
0: out it's very authentic sort of anxiety and rage on his part. And they cut back to Janeway and it, the, her reaction is, Oh fuck. I get, I get what's going on with them. Like it isn't, I'm angry that I'm being yelled at by the space cat. It's by this crew member is suffering from authentic pain that I recognize. And I have to take a different approach in not being just his commanding officer, but, like, being his, you know, I, I want to say mother, but, like, authority figure that has to, like, under, make him understand,
1: like, I get what what happened to him. And in you like, leadership roles, you yeah. realize that sometimes, you know, when you take an easy way out on the front end, it creates a bigger problem on the back. And I think in that moment, janeway's like, God damn it, why don't we just put another 10 minutes into that fucking... <laughs> <laughs> trying to save its family i could have saved myself so much headaches with neelix had i just tried for more than 20 seconds to bring those people back to life ah missed opportunities needs he, him like,
0: she she puts his ha- her her hands on his arms explains that he you know she understands where he's coming from sits him down and like the way she does it is very like good supervisor which is mm-hmm. only you can do this and, like, you're the person to do it. And, you know, I trust you of, like, empowering him, but to do the thing that she wants done. It's very slick. Like, as somebody, like, that's at that position now in their professional life, and I have to have conversations like that with people where I have to, like, not force them to do something, but basically convince them that I'm they, they yeah. need to. Yeah. You know, like, I got, like, what they wanted to do with that scene. And I thought that was really
1: neat. Um, I'm trying to find reasons to care about the hollow novel. Uh, what I do like is again, when Harry Kim gets involved, when, uh, when Janeway gets involved, hands on in the holodeck adventure, them referring back to their own experiences. And I think it's interesting that, you know, these interactive stories are dealing with there's different ways for the child to play with a scene and have different resolutions. Janeway's unsurprisingly was like, oh, there was a problem, so I destroyed the entire thing. (laughs) (laughs) I overthought the situation
0: and made a tactical error and flooded the entire area.
1: Being a young child, I didn't yet have a starship at my command to simply blow up to solve the situation, so I had to just, you know, settle for burning the forest down or flooding the forest or whatever she did. Like, I I think that if one was to look back on Janeway's history, there's a lot of absolute sacrifice, willingness to blow the ship up that should have flagged on some Starfleet psychological evaluations. And it makes me wonder like, <laughs> is that part of being a captain is we need people who can just ultimately like, fuck it. Burn this motherfucker down.
0: <laughs> I I I think there's actually this end of the season might satisfy some of your knowledge when it comes to that, actually specifically. Some I'm excited now. Uh, But
1: the flotsam doll that uh, when we involve Harry Kim, it's like, hey, listen, I need you to make me a bootleg toy. Like the idea that this is (laughs) such a beloved franchise of books, yet there's no merchandise available for replication. And like Harry Kim has to like get a goofy 3D scan and then make a bootleg flotsam doll. (laughs) Which was only introduced, it sounds like, so they could try to have another merchandising opportunity, but nobody cared about this ugly ass, terrible doll. Did that do you remember someone posted a picture in the trauma support group maybe last year? Uh, No, it would have been like a season one thing of the the Neelix standing doll of horrors. There was someone in the trauma support group
0: that posted a cursed image of Neelix. And I'm I have blocked out of my memory the exact it was, like a, doll.
1: It was a doll standing in that hallway and it was terrifying and ugly and this fucking flotsam doll was like a dead ringer for it, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, bad. Uh,
0: there isn't a whole lot else to talk about. I got um, two things. I you know the, I guess the 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 actual like arc of the episode is that uh Naomi finds out what's going on. Uh, because of some real classic Tuvok is bad at his job canon, which is apparently uh, the uh, security uh, lockouts on the ship can be circumvented
1: by a a literal child. Uh, There's no lockouts in place. She's just like, (laughs) take me to the nerve center of the ship. And the ship's like, okay, I get that. It's not living witness. I get that Janeway does not have Kazon security officers armed with dildo phaser rifles standing guard on the ship. But when anybody, when a fucking child who is not even considered part of the crew, which was, a, uh, I think that was a discovery by seven and nine a while ago. She's like, Oh, there's two fifty, And then, uh, 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 the doctor's like, actually there's two fifty one Cause there's one person not, oh, no, it was, yeah, it was drone. Cause there's a kid, not in the crew. Um, when, when someone has zero clearance at all can just be like, yeah, take me to the fucking bridge. And it's like, take you to the bridge Uh, on the holodeck. Later on, we'll have a scene where she somehow overrides Neelix. Neelix, the guy who is able to like dupe the transporters into only listening to him and not listening to the bridge. When she's able to like outfox him and block out all control on the holodecks like. This kid might be like uh, Penny from Inspector Gadget, the child super hacker. I mean, she's definitely like a bright kid. She's definitely
0: portrayed as as very slick, but I felt that it was just like super on the nose that she was able to outsmart the ship security by a putting her comm badge on her flutter doll and then locking the uh, the holodeck controls. Like if, if, if Tuvok's security protocols can be outsmarted by a kid, that might be just a little too much. <laughs>
1: um. I would like to say it's too much, but it's it is par for the course for Tuvok, who is great for dad advice, uh, but continues to
0: (laughs) be terrible at its job.
1: (laughs) Naomi Wildman just proved herself Seska's equal in running game on Tuvok. So uh, she finds out because
0: she just like goes to the bridge and like, you know, observes all of the stuff that's going on when it comes to, you know, people freaking out over the Delta Flyer crashing and her mom being in trouble and discovers that obviously that Neelix has been lying to her the entire time and ultimately forces a scene where Neelix has to confront his trauma by being truthful with Naomi. And I feel like the best scene that Naomi Wildman has in the episode is when they're on the, the, the holodeck. Neelix is being honest about like why I lied to you about what happened to me and what happened to my family and what I didn't want you to go through. And, you know, she, she questions that, The the theory, which is to say, like, you know, do you lie to yourself about what happened to your family? And when you do, do you actually feel better? And, you know, it's the kind of childlike wisdom moment that you expect from these kind of situations where you have a child actor as the focus. But I thought it was actually pretty effective because Ethan Phillips is able to sell what's going on in the scene.
1: But of course, everything's going to be okay by the end. There's no real uh, consequence or change. The uh, phaser drills that they have set up uh, were able to strip away enough of this dense planet to kind of get a fix on the shuttlecraft. And they beam the entire goddamn Delta Flyer out of the subterranean crash site into the cargo hold all off screen. Yes, Even yeah, no, no goes, effects
0: budget for this episode.
1: Like I get when they, you know, there's a lot of stuff they do. It's well, tra- I don't need to see them transport down every time. I don't need to see every time the shuttlecraft leaves. I know what it looks like. But if you're going to do something for the first time ever, like jettison the warp core, which, you know, they did show on screen. And it's like, all right, that's cool. That's that's, you know, something nice to the episode. What does it look like when you beam a shuttlecraft out? Like does the ground corrode underneath it? What's it look like? Oh, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of cool stuff they could have done with that. But you no, know, they they saved their their budget for hopefully later. Something cool in the season. Oh,
0: there's definitely some cool stuff that's going to happen later in the season. I assure you of that. Uh, the episode wraps. As you said, everything works out. Uh, you know, Naomi has a nice uh, hug with her mom at the end. Uh, you know, the they have a a you know, outing to the storybook. We we get some of the canon that you mentioned uh, with uh, uh, the captain apparently having flooded Flutter's uh, forest in the past and the episode fades out. I, As I said, anything in service to such deep and rich character building, I'm willing to accept. This is a great Tuvok episode. This is a great... Uh, in particular neelix episode i think it's got a great janeway scene in it um i'm willing to suffer through some c minus child acting if that's
1: what i get as a consequence you, you did not sell me this there are good.
0: <laughs> i tried sure. though
1: i fucking tried <laughs> yeah i mean you know a for effort it's not a logium. um but it's it's nothing i'm going to anxiously ever go back to uh I know that's a curse of children actors in Star Trek. So, you know, it's it's par for the course. And uh, ultimately, I don't feel like it wasted my time. just Again, season five has yet to really strike hard for what people are calling the best season ever.
0: Well, it's funny you should say that now, because I would love for you to
1: read the description of next week's episode. Next week's going to be Season 5, Episode 6, Timeless, and we've got a dude in some polar trekking gear. A miscalculation by Ensign Kim. They're they're fucking shaming him out with that uh, low-ass Ensign status. A miscalculation by Ensign Kim causes a fatal crash during Voyager's first test with Slipstream's travel. Slipstream was the uh, Artanis, Arturis technology from... Uh, Hopes and fears, right? That is
0: correct. Uh I'm proud to tell you, Peter, that this is, aside from Year of Hell, considered Voyager's best episode. This is it's probably its best like single episode. Hmm. Uh it's definitely the best Harry Kim focused, uh, by a large margin. Uh, but uh this is one people point out as Voyager at its best, and I firmly agree that
1: this is uh amazing Star Trek that we're about to watch. Well, it's about time because uh, I, I need it. I need a I need a strong boost from the, the drivel we've been dealing with. And uh, high praise. So let's see if it's gonna be able to live up to it, man. All right, dude. Thank you again to everybody for
0: listening to V J Please, hey, for a Voice of the Delta Quadrant. We are available to you on Twitter at Vigre Please. We are available to you at on email, Vgerplease at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook as well. And if you are interested, you can join our VJ Police Trauma Support Group, which is our official fan group where we love to uh, spread our Trek memes and talk uh, Trek in a you know nice closed environment. But we only keep it closed because you know you don't necessarily want your grandmother seeing your Trek shit posting. So uh, just <laughs> uh, apply to join, and we'll happily have you along for the ride. And we always appreciate people liking and sharing the podcast wherever it is you choose to do so we appreciate it and until next week
1: see ya